0: Once again, Happy Easter. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter number 24. Luke chapter number 24. How many of you know that sometimes life leaves you feeling empty? That there are some things to be desired in this life. There are some times that we have to endure that seem unfulfilling. And uh, we have to kind of make it through those seasons of life. And today, I want us to kind of look at what it means to be empty uh, and the hope that's found in emptiness ultimately let me see a show of hands how many of you have ever run out of gas yeah you like to play with that line <laughs> Any of you ever run out of time had a deadline to meet had something that you just had to get done time ran out and you weren't able to complete a task or a chore and something went undone that needed to be done anybody ever run out of money that's not a good feeling when that account goes empty, is it? Sometimes the month lasts longer than our accounts do, and there's this anxiety that follows an empty bank account. How many of you have ever run out of chances? You've made the mistake more than once. Someone said, if you do it again, that's the last time, and you did it again. You must not have kids. If you have kids, how many of you kids have run out of chances? Yeah. My kids have run out of chances just this week. <laughs> ever run out of patience? That patience tanks on empty? I think sometimes we think that patience is a curse. But when patience is gone, <laughs> life becomes cursed. How many of you ever run out of toilet paper? Come on, be honest. <laughs> that ain't no fun. You gotta get creative when you run out of toilet paper. And that roll gets empty. Life's just not fun. Life tends to have its ups and downs, and when life becomes empty, there's this almost nauseous feeling of anxiousness that leaves us sometimes with regret, but most times without hope. This last week during spring break, my Wife and I went to visit her parents in Charleston, who were actually just yesterday moved here to Winder, and we're excited to have them uh, here in town, uh, as well as here at the church. Uh, so we went to visit one last time, and on the way home, um, I've got this thing I do where like I'm not going to stop until a certain point on my journey, and the gas tank was starting to get a little low, and I started questioning things in my mind, but I said, I've done this before, and we're going to make it. And uh, the more the needle crept down towards that E, the more I became anxious, and I passed the last stop that had gas stations before the exit that I was waiting for, and I started kind of just fidgeting. And man, you know this, that when that happens, you never say a word of it to your wife. (laughs) Because if you ever mention, I don't know if we're going to make it to the gas station, I mean, you're going to hear an earful, not just because she's worried as well, but because you've made an unwise decision in her mind. And as we pulled into the gas station, I breathed a sigh of relief because I literally had never seen the needle that low in that vehicle. But I think that we live lives like that sometimes. That when we go through seasons that become empty, there's this anxiousness that we live with. There's this Unhealthy anticipation that anything that can go wrong probably will go wrong. And we begin to expect the worst rather than the best. You ever been there? I want to look this morning at three snapshots of the Easter story. Three small pieces of the puzzle of Easter that left people leave feeling empty. And hopefully we can learn that there is something in common. In fact, I've titled this sermon Easter in common. We say Easter in common? Easter in common. Luke chapter number 24, verses 1 through 3. Luke says On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The tomb was empty, and living in 2016, that's a reason to rejoice. We look at the scripture, and we know the tomb was empty because Jesus conquered death, and he rose victorious, but these women went to prepare the body of a dead Jesus. They went to honor his sacrifice, and when they saw the stone rolled away and they saw the tomb empty, it wasn't a comforting feeling. There was no rejoicing that took place in that moment. Just for a moment, they began to question who took the body of their Lord. See, Jesus had been betrayed. He had been um, falsely accused. He had been arrested. He had been treated unfairly as the Son of God, a man living a perfect life He was treated unfairly and there was rumor that someone might steal his body to pretend that he had defeated death and come back to life. And when these women saw that the tomb was empty, their mind went to the worst place it could go. Not only did they kill Jesus that we love so dearly, but now they've taken his body and we can't even honor him in his death. The empty tomb is reason to rejoice unless you were the first one to find it. Unless you don't understand it. Unless you don't realize the potential that that empty tomb has for your life and for mine. So here's the first snapshot that I want to look at. It's in John chapter number 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother there, Jesus is hanging on a cross. When he saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, likely the apostle John, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. As Jesus is nearing the end of his life and he's being crucified unjustly he looks out and he sees his mom and he sees a disciple whom he dearly loved John the disciple was probably Jesus closest friend and Jesus mother was probably the woman in his life that was most dear to him and as he looked out on these two individuals that he loved so dearly he basically said his goodbyes he said I'm not going to be with you any longer and you need each other I'm asking you to take care of my mom and I'm asking you to take care of the disciple. And as he said his goodbye, you can imagine that anguish turned into anguish. That bad turned to worse. See, it was Mary, as a teenager who was visited by an angel, who was told that she was pregnant with the Son of God. And even with, when her fiance didn't believe her she held on to hope that there was a purpose for his life and as she raised this little boy even from a young age she knew something was special about him at the age of 12 they visited to Jerusalem for a feast and as they returned home to Bethlehem Jesus stayed behind he was supposed to be with the family but when they finally noticed that he wasn't there they had to go back into Jerusalem to find Jesus And it was Jesus' mother that, out of frustration, corrected Jesus. But she noticed that he wasn't out playing in the streets. He was in the synagogues teaching the religious leaders the truths of the Scripture. She knew there was something special about this man. She saw him become a master carpenter, and she watched him learn the trade from his father Joseph As he grew into a man at the age of 30, they were at a wedding in Cana. And when the wedding planner had planned poorly and they ran out of wine, which was not a great thing in the custom of the wedding in that day, it was Mary that went to Jesus and said, it's time for you to start a ministry. And she said, I need you to bring some wine to this party. And the first miracle that Jesus ever performed was at the request of his mother. She saw him do numerous miracles from that point forward. For three years, he cast demons out of people. He healed blind eyes. He made the dead come to life. He made the lame walk. He fed thousands of people with just a handful of food. This was a special man. He serves an incredible purpose. But then she had to endure word that he had been arrested and he was being falsely accused and ultimately as she made her way to Calvary's hill she looked at her son hung on a tree not realizing the purpose in the moment. And I can imagine as Jesus looked out and said to John, Behold my mother, and behold the disciple, and he said his goodbyes, all hope left in that moment. I can imagine that this mother, having lost her son, who she knew was special, and his life ended in such an unjust way, she was left empty. And John, in that moment, had to have felt the same way. I mean, he was Jesus' right-hand man. He walked with him through ministry. He followed him. He learned from him. He was the closest friend that Jesus had on this earth. And to hear Jesus say, goodbye, take care of my mom, had to leave him so confused and empty inside. There's something about being empty that removes hope from the situation that we're facing. When they believed that Jesus would be the ruler of all the world and they saw him, breathe his last they were left empty John chapter 19 verse 38 after Jesus had breathed his last it says later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus but secretly because he feared the Jews and with Pilate's permission he came and took the body away He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Remember John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night? The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish, Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Jesus died in the evening. The next day was the Sabbath. And it was Joseph of Arimathea who went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus when he had breathed his last. We know from Mark and Luke's accounts that Joseph of Arimathea was not only a rich man, but he was a member of the Jewish ruling ruling council. He was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious leaders of the day who rejected the notion that Jesus was the Christ. It was his companions that pushed for Jesus to die. But we also know that Joseph didn't approve of Jesus' death. Because he feared for his life, he secretly followed Jesus. His companion was Nicodemus, who in John chapter 3 had made his way to Jesus in the evening because he feared being seen speaking to Jesus. As a fellow member of the Jewish council and a fellow Pharisee, he knew that to have any association with someone who claimed to be the Son of God would have been blasphemous. And so he snuck away to Jesus and he began to ask questions. He said, I know there's something different about you. And Jesus began to explain to him that he needed to be born again. He didn't understand how you could be born again because you can't enter into your mother's womb again. And Jesus began to teach him that he needed to be born spiritually as well as naturally. And these two men secretly followed Jesus risking their lives to follow someone they believed in they watched from a distance i'm sure in hopes that jesus would do something to prove their companions wrong i can imagine them from a distance just thinking any time now he's going to come down off that cross and he's going to destroy everyone something's going to happen he's going to prove himself but he never did he hung lifeless on that old rugged cross. And the man that they followed secretly had left them feeling empty. And I can imagine the thoughts that would have been going through their mind as they went to Pilate and said, we would like to have the body of Jesus. As they wrapped his body and placed him in a, a new tomb there in a garden near where Jesus Died, I'm sure there was confusion in their mind. We just knew that this was a ruler who was going to change everything. He was going to conquer kingdoms. He was going to rule the earth. And Now we're left laying him in a tomb. Can you imagine the emptiness in their faith, the emptiness in their belief, the emptiness in following Jesus Yet feeling so disappointed that he wasn't who they thought he would be. John chapter number 20, starting in verse number 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and John come running to the tomb to see for themselves. Verse 10 says, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Is it really empty? How could this be? It was Mary Magdalene whom Jesus cast seven demons out of. She knew the things that he could do. And from that point forward, she followed him. She gave her life to honoring him and caring for his needs. And here she is in a garden looking at a tomb, believing that someone has stolen Jesus' body. Can you imagine the emptiness I know who he is, who he said he is because of what he's done in my life. Yet what I'm seeing just doesn't line up. The emptiness that they felt in that moment, likely on some level we've all felt. Whether it's been a tragedy or there's been some expectation that hasn't been met, we've been left feeling empty. In fact, many people live empty lives lacking purpose, lacking any passion, lacking any joy or peace. They just exist and float through life hoping that something good will happen to them. But emptiness can haunt us. What do these three stories teach us? What do they have in common? I believe they're not the only ones they were left empty in those moments. In fact, I know they weren't the only ones left empty because the Bible tells us that the tomb was also empty. And what they didn't realize in that moment is that the tomb was empty, not because someone had stolen the body of Jesus dishonoring his death, but because Jesus had defeated death itself. He had risen victorious. He rolled the stone away, and he walked out of a borrowed tomb because he didn't need it any longer. Death could not hold Jesus in the grave. He rose victorious. And that empty tomb swallows up any emptiness that we may face in this life. That empty tomb gives all of us hope for a future. That empty tomb is not worth crying about. It's worth celebrating. No matter how empty you feel, We all have Easter in common. It doesn't matter what you're facing, what you're going through, what obstacles are in front of you, how hopeless life may seem, there is hope because the tomb is empty. And we all have Easter in common, whether we realize it or not. What we fail to realize sometimes is that the resurrection could never have taken place if the crucifixion didn't precede it. Sometimes our greatest joys in life follow our greatest trials in life. And when we're faced with the most empty, lifeless, hopeless situations, sometimes it takes us a little while to realize that there is one who's faced that on a greater level than us. Not only did he face it, but he conquered that emptiness and there's an empty tomb crying out to swallow up all the empty places of our lives so that we could receive fullness and life in Jesus Christ. I want to look at one more snapshot of the Easter story, just to help you understand the importance of what Jesus did for us. Mark chapter number 15. Verse number 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How could God, who loved the world so much that he would send his only son to pay the price for our sins, forsake that son when he needed him the most? Why would Jesus, at the time of his life where he could have used the love of God the most, face a father that would turn his back on him? Well, let me tell you why. Because Father God cannot look on sin. And in that moment, Jesus bore the sins of all of the world, all of humanity, the sins of, rested on Jesus and in that moment Jesus turned his back on his son because his son became sin for you and for me that we might become righteous in him you want to talk about an empty feeling you've got a father that you love and you know loves you and he forsakes you not because he's a bad father and not because he's wrong in turning his back but because you're facing the most helpless and hopeless reality that contradicts everything that the Father is for. Jesus became something that he wasn't for us. And in that moment, he became sin. And Jesus turned his back. Darkness covered the face of the earth. And Jesus uttered his last words, as recorded in the Gospel of John, when he said, it is finished. What was finished? The penalty, the payment for your sins, for my sins, had been met. Our debt had been canceled. Jesus had paid the ultimate price He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a great leader worth following. He was the savior of the world who wasn't just mistreated by men who thought that they were doing the right thing. He was fulfilling prophecy that said he would become sin for us. And in that moment, Jesus faced an emptiness that we'll never experience unless we fail to place our faith in Jesus. So, the empty tomb changed the story for Mary and the disciple John, who once heard Jesus say his goodbye. They heard that he was alive again, and there was rejoicing in their heart. Their morning was turned to rejoicing. Their day, their night was turned to day. There was a fresh hope in their life when they heard that Jesus was alive. Mary Magdalene, who had in the moment, believe someone had stolen the Lord Jesus, we know was the first to see Jesus as he revealed himself to her. She thought he was a gardener and she begged him to tell her where they had put Jesus' body. And when he called her name, she realized that he was alive and she ran to tell And you can imagine the hope that came into Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus as they had laid Jesus to rest, leaving all hope behind that he was who they thought he was, confirming that in his resurrection that he was the true son of God. He wasn't a fraud. They hadn't followed someone that deceived them. And Jesus, as he rose victorious, left behind our sin in the grave. And he stepped out of that grave in newness of life so that you and I could leave our emptiness in the grave as well. See, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what situations in life that you're dealing with. I don't know how empty you may feel, but I do know this. No matter how empty you feel, we all have Easter in common. There is new life available to us. There is hope and peace and joy available to us. And there is no circumstance or situation that we're facing that would ever hinder us from experiencing the love of a Savior who conquered all for us. Death has been defeated. Death is no more. If you follow Jesus, this world as we leave will be just a glimpse of life because we'll begin life for eternity with Jesus in heaven. Let me read the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. Jesus has paid a price for you that you don't have to pay. He's brought healing to your life that you don't have to live in defeat. And then I love 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, where he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. The reason we feel empty in life is because we've misplaced our faith and our hope. And as has been passed down from generation to generation, we've allowed ourselves to believe that the things of this world will bring fulfillment to us. But Peter reminds us that those things didn't pay a price for us, but rather the precious blood of Jesus. And by faith and hope in God, we can live in Him. Our emptiness can be swallowed up in the grave the empty grave. And John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that you may have life and life to the full. You don't have to live an empty life. You can live a full life, but it only happens in Jesus Christ. See, there is one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. And Paul, the apostle, says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. So I've come to give you good news today. I've come to tell you, in spite of any emptiness you may be feeling, there is a full life ahead of you. That there is hope for you in this moment and in everything any moment that you'll ever face through Jesus Christ the empty grave is hope for you and for me let me pray for us Father you are an incredible incredible God and we are so grateful not only for your sacrifice on the cross that paid the penalty and the debt that our sins owed but three days later, Father, you rose victorious from the grave and you conquered death once and for all. And the empty places in our lives, you've filled those with your love as long as we place our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And we're grateful for an empty grave that swallows up all of our empty areas in life. And we're grateful for new life in you. I wonder in this moment with heads still bowed and eyes closed, if there's anyone today that would just say, my life is empty because I have failed to place my faith and my hope in God. I haven't believed in Jesus. I haven't trusted him for salvation. I haven't allowed his sacrifice on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I'm carrying around the emptiness in this life rather than leaving it in the empty grave. And you would say, today I feel like Jesus is just speaking to my heart. And I would like to receive life in him and life to the full. If that's you today, I just simply want to lead you in a prayer. Nothing magical about the prayer, but if you'll repeat this in your heart, it's just a way for me to lead you in a prayer that puts into words the transformation that God wants to do in your heart. If you say today, I've never placed my faith in Jesus, and I want to do that right where you're at. You don't have to do it out loud. Just in your mind and in your heart, would you repeat this after me? Just say, Lord Jesus thank you for dying for me and thank you for conquering death. I'm tired of living for myself and I'm ready to experience full life in you. Please forgive me of my sins. Please wash away my unrighteousness and please fill me with life in you. I commit to living for you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Just curious, if, if you're here this morning and you would say, today I said that prayer, not by way of pointing you out or embarrassing you, but just so that I can know that you started a relationship with Jesus today, would you just slip a hand up, just say, that was me, awesome, so incredible. Can we just celebrate together today? So, so great.